Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So... I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You will want to keep your your Bible open just as we go through this. It'll be very handy for you. Well, this story is from uh, Wales Online on the 13th of April. At 8pm on a mild spring evening in Carmarthen train station, the Transport for Wales cleaning team are getting ready for work. One of them has recently celebrated his 80th birthday, and after 25 years of cleaning trains, he has no plans to stop. William Gwyn Thomas, known as Gwyn, is working as hard as ever and is proud of what he does. I love the job, says Gwyn. And he works with a team to clean between 18 and 26 carriages on an evening shift, ready for the next morning. He said, it means a lot to me to be a part of the Carmarthen team because it's a really special station. I didn't expect I'd still be working at 80, but I really love it. And I'll finish when I'm ready and when I feel I can't do it as well. What do you think that you're going to be doing when you're 80 years old? Well, good afternoon. If you don't know me, my name is Ian. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. And I have the privilege of continuing our series in the book of Exodus. We've entitled, you can see it there, Who is Like You? Expressing the the uniqueness of God. And how God reveals that in this second book in the Bible. Today we're coming to a famous passage. Uh, Many of you are familiar with it, I'm sure, whether you heard it in school whether you've heard it in church, 
Uh, maybe you've even seen it in a film. Uh, there was a film of this, uh, maybe from just reading your Bible day to day. It's a, it's a famous passage. And this is a, a close encounter between an 80-year-old man called Moses, who has been the centre of the story so far, and God, who, as, as David Harvey was saying last week, is now, is now stepping into the centre stage. He steps into the centre stage to show that he is the real hero of this book in the Bible. And I love how this... Uh, narrative has been very big picture so far. I mean, think about it. We've, we've done 80 years in the first two chapters. And now we just slow down. Now we're going to slow down, zoom in, and spend basically uh, one and a half chapters thinking about one con- conversation. This conversation between God the Father and Moses. So we're going to deal with it under four sections. Uh, an inadequate shepherd, an all-sufficient God, an all-sufficient shepherd, and burning bushes. So an inadequate shepherd, an all-sufficient God, an all-sufficient shepherd, and burning bushes. So let's dig in. With our first heading, An Inadequate Shepherd. Far from being the, the prince of Egypt, that he was perhaps born, born into the household of Pharaoh, or to be the hero of the people of Israel that, it, that he wanted to be when he tried to uh, liberate that, that guy from uh, the overseer who uh, was persecuting this uh, Israeli guy. At the beginning of chapter 3, we find Moses is a shepherd. In fact, uh, in Acts chapter 7, it tells us he's been doing this now for 40 years. He's been exiled for murdering this Egyptian overseer. Pharaoh was out to kill him. And now Moses has spent 40 years in a quite common at the time, quite common job as shepherd, but a, a mundane job. Like any good shepherd, Moses is keeping a watch on his sheep. He, he's moving them round to find good pasture. That's why, he's, that's why he's ended up perhaps on the far side of the wilderness. And he's gone on to a mountain called Horeb. But elsewhere in the book of Exodus, uh, we think that's called Mount Sinai. We think it's the same place. And like a good shepherd, he's, he's on the alert. He's on the lookout. He's looking for risks to his sheep. He's not just navel gazing he's looking out and he sees verse 2 well he sees a bush a bush that is burning and burning but it's not burnt up it's not destroyed it's not consumed that's weird i've never seen anything like that don't know if any of you ever have and so, and so he goes over to check it out. We don't know why. Is it because he thinks it's a threat to the sheep? Is it because he's just curious? But in verse 2 it says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him. So this fire is definitely something very, very unusual and weird and special. 
And when Moses approaches, God calls to him. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And that's the start of the conversation. We'll look at some of the detail of what God says in a minute. But just consider the impact for a minute. Just imagine that's you. Moses must be afraid. He must be astonished. When God starts to speak, he, he is, he, Moses is flabbergasted. He, he hides his face. Because God identifies him. God identifies himself not only as the God of Moses' own father, but the God of the great leaders that Moses would have heard about growing up, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who has led uh, the people of Israel uh, back in the day, so to speak, all those famous stories about him. This is the real deal. Moses now knows who he's talking to, and he is afraid. But what, what does God say to him? Look down into verse 7. He's seen the misery of the people in Egypt. Moses' own people. After 400 years, God has finally come down, stepped onto the centre stage, as we've said, and he has indeed seen and heard and he is concerned about his people, about the people he's made promises to because God has made promises to Abraham Isaac and Jacob he's made promises to the people of Israel and God has come to fulfill those promises and the way in which, in which that's described in in uh, in verse 8 that's a, a formula you'll see throughout the Old Testament To take them to, to a spacious land, a land flown with milk and honey, the home of these, these Canaanite tribes. A good and pleasant land. Doesn't that sound nice? I like the sound of that. A good and pleasant land. And God, in verse 9, God reiterates, he, he's seen the plight of the Israelites, he's heard their cry, and at this point Moses is feeling great. This is it. This is it, lads. This is what we've been waiting for 400 years. He's going to he's seen. He's seen what I've seen. He's, seen. he's heard the cries. Those, for 400 years, those prayers, he's heard them. And Moses is feeling pumped up. God is going to step in. And then, verse 10, the kicker. Verse 10, although God has said he's come down to rescue his people, verse 10 makes it clear, Moses is going to be his chosen instrument. And Moses does this double take. <laughs> and we're not surprised. We know the rest of the story, right? Most of us know what's in the book of Exodus. We know what happens next. But Moses doesn't know at this point. This is a complete shocker. Think about it. He's an exiled prince. He's fled all the privilege. He's, he's fled that situation. He's on the other side of the wilderness. He's being a shepherd. 
just doing a humble job, almost perhaps, you might say, hiding out in the wilderness. And someone who is 80 years old at this point is being told that he has been personally selected by the God of the universe to go and speak to the ruler of the largest superpower in the world and to tell him that he has to let maybe two million slaves go. Yeah, he's feeling a bit anxious at this point. He's feeling a bit nervous at this point. Any happiness he must have been feeling in verses 7 and 9 has gone. Me? God's chosen instrument? Me? I'm, I'm just a shepherd. I'm, I'm just a, an inadequate shepherd. That's who I am. We're going to hear more about how Moses responds in the next couple of weeks. But this is where we're going to circle back to the significance of the burning bush. Our second heading, an all-sufficient God. If a central theme of the book of Exodus is what God reveals about himself and what God reveals about his plan for his people, then why a burning bush? What's the significance of a, a burning bush? Think about it. Of all the signs and the miracles that God could have performed, what is the significance of a plant that is on fire but which is not consumed? God is transforming Moses, this inadequate shepherd, to be the man of the moment. So why a burning bush? I want to suggest to you that in the burning bush, God is revealing to Moses and to us some of his own characteristics. He's saying, this is what I'm like. Particularly the characteristics that Moses is going to need. The characteristics Moses is going to have to rely on in this great mission in verse 10 that he's being sent out on. Let me suggest some to you. First of all, this miracle speaks to the absolute power of God the absolute power God has created the universe and everything in it God has created the world but he's not bound by its laws he's not bound by its limitations God can do anything he wants to he can bend or break or just ignore those rules as he wants to if he wants to have a fire that burns and doesn't consume the bush that's fine he's God he can do that he is all-powerful there is, he is sovereign. He has no problem to do anything. And so for Moses, the first thing he has to realise is the absolute power of this God that he has encountered. The absolute power of the God who is going to go with him on this mission. Secondly, there's something here about the, the infinite resources of God. Uh, we were watching a programme on TV last night about a wildfires in California. Just, the trees just destroyed. In a flash, they're gone. And yet here we have a, a, a fire in the desert, kind of like the, the area in California we were watching last night. And it's likely that that bush would have been consumed really quickly. 
in the normal course of events. Uh, it's very dry, it's very brittle. However, this is not consumed. And, and fire, as you may know, is often a, a sign of the presence of God, particularly in the Old Testament. And that's certainly the case here. Yet this fire burns, apparently, without using the, the wood, the oxygen. It, it, it just keeps going. Because God doesn't need anything from the natural world to do what he's doing. He doesn't need anything from the natural world to sustain him. He doesn't need anything from the natural world to to power his actions. God is self-sufficient. God is self-resourcing. God has infinite resources. He never runs out. Even when he's been working all day, he's still got the infinite resources he started at the day at the end of the day. It never runs out. The Bible it talks about having the, the, the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got, he's, got, he's got a thousand cattle on a thousand hills in a thousand places for all of time, forever. He, he has everything. And so for Moses, perhaps the second thing he's got to realize is the infinite resources of this God who is encountering. The infinite resources of this God who will go with him. Thirdly then, this miracle teaches something about the the holiness of God. God himself says it in verse 5, doesn't he? He says, look there, he says, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. The ground is not holy here, to be clear, because of some intrinsic value. It's holy because... God is there. God is holy. But this is a, a this is a, a sign, and so it's a sign of the reverence that Moses should rightly be pouring out here to this God who is now he's now encountering. We might think of this idea of holiness as having something to do with being separate, of being being alone, being uh different to everything else because because everything else has been created god has not been created everything else is created god is perfect and in him there is no darkness at all he exists outside of time he does not change he does not decay when everything else does we might say that god is is unique there is nothing else there is no one else like him this is kind of how we try to get our head around the holiness of God. We can't really say that the holiness of God is like something because it isn't. God is unique. The holiness of God is only like the holiness of God. But when we see it in the Bible, he reveals to us what that looks like. And so for Moses, the third thing perhaps he has to realise is the, the holiness of the God he is encountering. The holiness of the God who's going to go with him back into Egypt. Fourthly, though, in, in spite of this holiness, in spite of God's awesome nature, it can still dwell in something small when it needs to. Incarnation, it's a big church word, but there's something here about the, the presence of God 
The presence of God in the bush doesn't simply vaporise it. God, God preserves the bush even as it is on fire and God is, is in it. The awesome power and presence of God is able to dwell in something that is imperfect and is limited. That might ring a bell to you. We'll come back to that. And for Moses, the fourth thing he needs to realise is the ability of God to be incarnate in this encounter. And that this God who will go with him will go with him in that way. And finally, fifthly, the burning bush shows Moses the relational nature of God. God does need, not need the presence of any created creature like Moses because he's self-sufficient. We've talked about that. He's holy. He's separate. He would be perfectly fine. God would be perfectly fine living on his own. However, it pleases God to be relational. It pleases God because by his very nature he is relational. What do I mean by that? Well, God reveals himself in the Bible to be a trinity. That's three persons in one being. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these three have been in perfect relationship forever. From, from before forever. From before time begins for all eternity. They've had a perfect relationship with each other. They've been loving each other perfectly, relating to each other perfectly. There's never been any conflict. Uh, all the time glorifying each other's names, appreciating each other, loving each other, caring for each other. So God is relationally self-sufficient. And yet, yet it pleases him to invite a people, to invite his people. To invite people like me and you to join that relationship. To reveal himself to them. And more than that, he takes the initiative. He takes the initiative to reveal himself, to save a people for himself. Even as we you know, so often respond reluctantly or even with denial, God reaches out, God takes the initiative. Even when we're ill-prepared like Moses, especially when we're ill-prepared, in my experience. This is why God reveals his character and his plans in this passage, but throughout the Bible. Because you can't have a relationship with someone who you don't know. And so he wants us to know him. In the past, here we read out how in the past God has reached out to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now he's reaching out to Moses, calling him by name, inviting him into this greatest of relationships. And so for Moses, perhaps the fifth thing he has to realise is the relational nature of this God he's encountering, this relational nature of this God who is going to go with him. This God who, he, who wants Moses to know him to know better. The burning bush shows Moses that the God who commands him in verse 10, the God who goes with him is an all-powerful, holy, relational God who has infinite resources and yet can be with, be with him. And although Moses is, is inadequate for the job God gives him in verse 10, 
The burning bush shows that God is actually all-sufficient. God does not say, there, there, don't worry about it. I know I've given you a really tough job. Sorry, sorry, you're right, calm down. He doesn't say that. He says, this is what I'm like. You're with me, let's go. God is enough. He's more than enough. He will save and sustain Moses and the people of Israel. He will get the job done. He wants to put some steel in the back of Moses here. But as well as our passage telling us about the inadequacies of Moses and the the sufficiency of God, it also points towards Jesus. Our third point then, an all-sufficient shepherd. An all-sufficient shepherd. We mentioned a moment ago how God is a trinity, three persons in one being. They all share the same characteristics. And so this character that God the Father is revealing here in the burning bush is also true of Jesus. He shares those same characteristics. But not only that, he also shares the mission of Moses from verse 10. He shares the mission in that he goes to to save a people. Claire read for us from the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Let me just read to you again there from verse uh, 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Yeah, the full character we've been talking about dwells in Jesus. But, verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Down to verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus both shares his, the character of God, but he also shares the mission that Moses has been given. Yes, Jesus is all-powerful. Yes, he has infinite resources. Yes, he is holy and unique and separate. Of course he's holy and unique and separate. There's never been someone like Jesus who was both fully God and fully man. That is unique. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because because of our sin. Because of our sin as humanity, he had to be a human in order to die on the cross. But only a, a holy God with infinite resources could possibly pay the price of being on the cross and dying for that. He needed a unique person who was both fully God and fully man, and that is Jesus. And his holiness was confirmed when God raised him from the dead after three days. When Jesus calls to us, this is the Jesus that calls for us, this, this holy, this unique, this separate, this all-powerful, this uh, fully resourced, this relational God. That's who calls to you and says, follow me. Turn away from that lifestyle and follow me. And yes, we, we see when we read the New Testament some of the, the, how that fullness of God works its way out. 
Yes, God can dwell in a fragile, in this case, human form, an incarnation, and yet not consume it. In Matthew 17, we see this thing in the Bible called the transfiguration. They're up on a mountain and suddenly the glory of Jesus is revealed. And it is amazing and staggering. And the apostles who are there with him see that he is actually a a holy God. And yet it's all contained in an ordinary human form. Jesus is so relational with his followers. All the time you see him interact for three years. He's interacting with the apostles and the other disciples. Teaching, encouraging and then ultimately dying for them and dying for us. Now there is actually, I wasn't going to do this, I'll do this. There is actually another part of the passage in which we see Jesus. That's verse 2. Verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Moses in flames Um, whenever we see the phrase the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament it appears to be different from other angels that are mentioned in the Bible Uh, one writer says that this 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 is one who retains the essence and the prerogatives of deity and is holy and yet is able to accommodate himself to the company of sinners He affirms the wrath of God and yet displays his outreaching mercy. So he has the properties of God, but he seems to be separate to God the Father. So who who shows us the property of God and is yet separate to God the Father? It's Jesus. And so many uh, uh, theologians of looking at the Old Testament believe that this was actually Jesus before he became Jesus in Bethlehem. Uh, there's a big church word for that ask me afterwards and I'll tell you what it is um, but, but the, 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 but the, the fact that he is there the fact that he is uh, in the flame of the burning bush that God the Father speaks out of reinforces the fact that, this, that Jesus has the same character but think about what we know about Jesus he has the same mission He has the same mission of Moses. Jesus came from a a background even more glorious than being a prince of Egypt. He was a prince of heaven. Jesus did a a mundane job. He was a carpenter. The same way that Moses was doing a a mundane job. Uh, They were both sent by God the Father to do the mission that they had been given. Jesus was given the mission of saving God's people. Moses has been given the, the mission of saving God's people god the father was with jesus god the father will be with moses yes there was even a point where where jesus was reluctant in the mission that he had in the garden of of gethsemane in jesus we see the character of god combined with the mission to save god's people this makes him a shepherd like moses But because he is God, it makes him the all-sufficient shepherd. He is the shepherd who will not let us down. He is the shepherd who will save his people. He will not fail to save his sheep. This is the shepherd who has come to save you. Our fourth point then. 
burning bushes. Where are you in this story? You've read it. It's a famous story. What is your situation right now? Maybe you feel you are in the wilderness, in exile. Perhaps you are genuinely, many of you are genuinely in a foreign land. The UK is not your home. Perhaps you may feel like Moses, the life has perhaps passed you by. Or, or maybe life is very routine. Uh, you might have heard about God, you might not have. If you have heard about God, uh, perhaps he was the God of your fathers, literally. But perhaps you've never feel, you've never, you feel you've never encountered him. Perhaps he's caught your curiosity. Perhaps you're feeling drawn to find out more. Invited to come and see like Moses was. Here in the burning bush, God, this God is the God who is calling to you. This relational God. Inviting you to draw close. So that he can show you who he is. So he can reveal to you who he is. Maybe you are heading up towards 80 years old. Maybe you feel like you're 80 years old. Um, maybe you feel that life has passed you by. Maybe you are a teenager navigating life that seems filled with pressure and contradictions and uncertainty. Perhaps you're in a normal job, nothing special. Your career maybe is not taken off like you expected it to. Or maybe it has and now you sort of feel like it's now uh, declining away from you. Perhaps you feel inadequate for the situation or the task that faces you. Perhaps you feel you're being prepared for something, although you don't know what it is. Here is the good news. Here's the good news. Whatever the situation, whatever your situation is, I need to know and you need to know that God has the power to work through us. Regardless of age, wealth, class, gender, ethnicity. Because our God has infinite resources. He will not need to burn us up. He does not ask us to burn ourselves out on his behalf. God is holy. He is separate and unique. He is not contaminated by the world. In him there is nothing evil. We can look to him and know that his motives are pure. His authority is pure. When he tells us to do something, there's no, there's no ulterior motives there. His timing is perfect. His mercy is sure. That is true of nobody else in our society. That is true of nobody else in our world. But it's true of our God. He is holy, and that's why we can trust him. And he will not... 
consume you if he comes to live in you. Actually, if you're a Christian, newsflash, I don't know if you know this, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. But for all the awesomeness of God that can be dwelling inside of us, we are not uh, burned up by his awesomeness. We'll be thinking more about that at Christmas. And God is relational and so God is with us. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, how much authority? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you. Always. To the very end of the age. He is not far off and aloof. He's not controlling us like chess pieces on a board. God is with his people through the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus returns to earth again, he will call us to himself and we will be face to face with him forever. In a land better than the one that God was calling the Israelites to here. I don't know if you feel inadequate. I often feel inadequate. I should not draw the wrong conclusion. The conclusion should be, I can't, but he can. So I will. Whenever we feel inadequate, scared, overwhelmed, alone, burdened, nervous, like it's just too much, remember God This God who reveals himself in the burning bush is all-sufficient. Jesus is revealed to be the all-sufficient shepherd. Follow him. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we, (laughs) we don't have to guess what you are like. We don't have to make up what you are like because you tell us what you are like you show us what you are like in the bible you show us in the old testament through stories like this you show us in the new testament from your son who is the image of god the father you do that so we can know you You want us to know you so that we can have a relationship with you. So you can be our God and we can be your children. You don't need that and yet it pleases you. Lord, help us to look to you, to understand who you are. And help us then to turn to you. And follow you, knowing that although life is hard, and it is hard, the God who goes with us is sufficient for the tasks. Amen.